please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Our sermon text this morning is Proverbs 3, 13 to 35, 13 to the end of the chapter. In the Pew Bibles, that starts on page 528. Let me read that text for us, and then we will think about it together. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. May our gracious God bless the reading of his word. Well, what would make your life a good life? What would it take for you to say that your experience of life was truly rich and rewarding and worthwhile? What would it take to make your life a good life? Whenever we think about that question, and my guess is that we actually think about that question more than we realize We are thinking about what the Bible calls blessedness. Christians today use the word blessed in all kinds of different ways. Uh, The primary way that the word blessed gets used in the Bible is to mean happy. In the Bible, to be blessed is to be happy in the fullest and most meaningful sense. Not just to be in a good mood at the moment, but to be truly and deeply happy. One scholar I read this week wrote that when the Bible said, blessed is the one who, 
We might even translate that as, how rewarding is the life of one who? Well, our passage from Proverbs this morning speaks directly to the question of blessedness, the question of the good life, especially in those first six verses. Did you notice that that first paragraph from verse 13 to to 18, rather, is bookended with the word blessed? What's the first word there in verse 13? Blessed. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Look at the end of that paragraph there in the last line of verse 18. What's the final word? Blessed. Again, speaking of wisdom, those who hold her fast are called blessed. That seems to be the author's way of highlighting his main point in the paragraph by bookending it with that word. Well, if you've been with us in prior weeks for our studies in the book of Proverbs, you will not be surprised to find that our passage this morning teaches that at the heart of the good and blessed life is wisdom. According to Proverbs, the good life is the wise life. Remember, we've said before that wisdom is the ability to live skillfully in God's world. In Proverbs, other words that describe wisdom are terms like understanding or insight or prudence or discretion. Proverbs has taught us that wisdom comes from fearing the Lord, living in humility and awe and reverence and delight toward who God is. Right? You're wise, Proverbs says, when the fear of the Lord determines how you live. You're wise when humility and awe and reverence and delight toward God shape everything that you do. And Proverbs says to us today, that is actually what makes the good life. Wisdom is the central ingredient to the blessed life. The rest of our passage can be understood, I think, as sort of expounding uh, and applying that basic assertion or even explaining and supporting it. So in our time together this morning, I want to look at the passage under five headings. So five-point sermon. Not too long, but five points. First point is the longest. Uh, First point, wisdom and the good life there in verses 13 to 18. Second point, wisdom and the creator Verses 19 and 20. Verse 3, I'm sorry, point 3, wisdom and security. Verses 21 to 26. Fourth point, wisdom and our neighbor. Verses 27 to 31. And finally, wisdom and humility. Verses 32 to 35. If you didn't get those, don't worry. I'll give them to you again as we go. First point, wisdom and the good life. If you've been here in previous weeks, you may remember that Proverbs 1 to 9 contains, uh, for the most part, a series of speeches from a wise father to a young son. Uh, Many of the sections in this part of Scripture start with the direct address, my son. Well, here in verses 13 to 18, what we get is not, not quite a direct address to the son, but more of a general statement, right? The passage doesn't start, my son, listen. It starts with, blessed is the one who... In fact, twice there in verse 13, our translation has the phrase, the one who, and that's a fine translation, but literally, the text uses the word Adam there. 
Blessed is the Adam or the man or even mankind, right? So it seems like we're meant to understand verses 13 to 18 as speaking about mankind generally, about all the descendants of Adam. Well, look what our author has to say about humankind here in verses 13 and 14. Again, he writes, Blessed is the one, the man, who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Well, why is that? Verse 14, For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Silver and gold are forms of money in the Old Testament. The Bible teaches that money is good. Money's actually really good. The inordinate love of money is a terrible evil. But money itself is very good. If it weren't good, why would you give it to other people? Why would that be a good thing to do? The Proverbs here comes to us and reminds us, hey, wisdom is better than money. Wisdom can get you better things than money can. Uh, One commentator illustrates it this way. He says, money can put food on the table, but not the fellowship around it. Money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can give a woman jewelry, but not the love she really wants. Friends, I wonder how the pursuit of wisdom and the pursuit of money compare within the list of our priorities. Does the way that we pursue money and the way that we pursue wisdom indicate that we believe God when he says that wisdom is even more precious, more valuable than silver and gold? Do we live like that's true? Do we attend to God's wise word like that's true? Verse 15, she wisdom is more precious than jewels. Imagine I were to conclude the sermon this morning with this announcement. All right, now comes the part of the service when we hand out jewels. Uh, Today, we have a large bag of diamonds, right? Please step in line. First come, first served. There would be some excitement in the room, right? Some of you are smiling even now at the thought of a bag of diamonds. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that the wisdom on offer to you in the Word of God is more precious than jewels? Because that's what God says about it to you. In fact, it's not just more precious than jewels. Look there at the second line of verse 15. It says, nothing you desire can compare with her. Think for a moment just about the things that you desire. Think about the things that you delight in. Listen, God's word says to you that you would be better off. You would be more blessed to have wisdom than to have all those things and not wisdom. It would be better. It would be happier It would be more blessed for you to have wisdom than riches. It would be better for you to be wise than to have good health. 
It would be better to be wise than to have the ideal family life. It would be better to be wise than to have freedom from trouble. Saints, doesn't this help us understand at least a little bit why God so often sends circumstances our way which we would not choose on our own? Isn't it because he knows that the very best thing he could do for us is to help us learn wisdom, even if that takes adversity? Verse 15 says, nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. There in verse 16, it becomes apparent that wisdom is again being personified as a woman. Uh, We met woman wisdom back at the end of Proverbs chapter 1. We meet her here again in chapter 3. Look at verse 16. It says, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom is better than riches in part because wisdom can lead to long life and riches and honor, right? Riches are in wisdom's left hand. It's like wisdom comes to the party and you say, wisdom, what have you, what have you brought for us? And she says, well, here in my right hand, I have long life, satisfied, blessed life for you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, wisdom. Thank you so much. Oh, what's that in your left hand? Oh, yeah, you know, it's riches and honor. You know, I just thought, you know, if we got bored, we could, you know, enjoy riches and honor, right? Her fringe benefits, Her left-hand benefits are riches and honor. Again, it's important here to remember that Proverbs is giving us general truths, right? Like the truth that exercise contributes to good health. That's true. It's not true in 100% of cases, right? Proverbs is not promising that every single person in this life who is wise will live a long time and enjoy a lot of wealth and a lot of honor, Right? Elsewhere in Proverbs, we encounter wise people who are poor, and we encounter righteous people who are oppressed and even killed. Proverbs is not naive about the way the world works. But still, it's generally true that wisdom, skillfulness, prudence, adeptness at living can lead to long life, can lead to abundance, can lead to good repute with others. It's certainly a better strategy for getting those things than foolishness. I think it's also helpful to remember that the original audience of Proverbs was God's old covenant people, Israel. Under the old covenant, God had established a much clearer correlation between God's people's obedience and their physical prosperity in the promised land. Right? You can read about that in places like Deuteronomy chapter 30. There's a clearer correlation between obedience and physical prosperity now in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. And the reason that's the case is because the Old Testament gives the shadow and the New Testament gives the eternal fulfillment, the eternal reality of which the Old Testament is the shadow Right, the, the life of riches and security and abundance in the promised land in Canaan, it was meant to be a picture, a preview of eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth that God's people will enjoy with him forever. The riches and honor that the old covenant nation of Israel was offered are a shadowy foretaste of, listen, the riches and honor, not just the long life, but the eternal life that God has promised to all of his children through Jesus Christ. 
I was reading John chapter 12 earlier this week when Jesus is speaking about his approach to the cross. And he says, if anyone wants to serve me, he's going to have to follow me to where I am, to the place of suffering and service. And then Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Brothers and sisters, if you are weary in the service of Jesus Christ today, remember that Jesus promises that his Father will honor his children who serve him. Not because they deserve it, but because that's the kind of gracious Father that he is. Wisdom is an investment with tremendous future payoffs. But wisdom isn't only good for the future. Look there in verse 17. It says again, speaking of wisdom, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Again, Christian, haven't you found this to be true? That the way of God's wisdom is the way of pleasantness and peace. There's a sense in which wisdom is a lot harder than foolishness, right? Being wise takes a kind of self-denial. It, it costs something right at the beginning. Right? Seeking God's face is harder than just not seeking God's face. Right? Working hard is harder than just being lazy. Learning to speak wisely is harder than just saying every single thing you think at every single moment. But friend, haven't you found in life that the wise path is, in the end, the pleasant path? Haven't you found that godliness and prudence, and at times even self-control, they are, in the end, more enjoyable than foolishness? Right? You, see, you see how Proverbs is wooing us to the way of wisdom? Right? It's not saying, you really should be wise. You ought to, and you should feel bad if you're not. Right? Just lay aside what you should do for just a second. Don't you want to be wise? Don't you see that God's ways of wisdom are the ways of pleasantness and the paths of peace, the way to shalom, to flourishing? Don't you want that, Christian? Now look at the last verse under this first point, verse 18. It says, She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Let me tell you a true story about two people who had the good life. Their names were Adam and Eve. They lived in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. They had perfect jobs. They had a perfect marriage. And best of all, they lived in the presence of God, their creator, as their friend. And the eternal good life available for their enjoyment was symbolized to them and was mediated to them through a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of life. The Proverbs is saying to us, listen, we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live in a terrible, horribly broken world where even very wise people suffer a lot. But the path back to blessedness, 
the path back to the tree of life, the path back to life-giving fellowship with your creator is the path of wisdom. It's the path of wisdom. So what should you do if you want wisdom? What should this teenage son, remember, who's listening to his wise father in Proverbs 1 to 9, what should he do if he's convinced? Well, remember that wisdom here is being personified as a woman in the context of a father's lectures to his young adult son. And and notice what it is that the blessed person does with wisdom there in verse 18. Verse 18 says, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. It says, those who hold her fast are called blessed. That word translated there, hold her fast, it's not like a friendship hug. This is, this is a firm embrace, right? The same word, hold fast, it describes how the adulteress comes out to seek her victim romantically in the streets in Proverbs chapter 7. Right? The suggestion seems to be that this young man ought to marry wisdom, right? not ought to marry a wise woman, that's a different part of Proverbs, but that he should make wisdom his bride, his beloved, an integral part of his life. Right? If I don't know anything about marriage, but if you get married, it's very clear, the person that you marry has a pervasive impact on your life. That much is clear. Well, Proverbs 3 is saying to let wisdom have a pervasive impact on every facet of your life. Proverbs is saying to let the fear of God shape everything you do. Let fearing God be your constant companion, your intimate friend, the thing you think about all the time. One of the reasons this image of woman wisdom is such a compelling metaphor, I think, is because when we turn to the New Testament, we find that wisdom is, in fact, a person. Wisdom is a person. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that Jesus Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is wisdom from God for us. Right? The, the good life is the wise life, and the wise life is lived in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're convinced, if you want wisdom, you want to know how to get it, run after intimacy with Jesus Christ, constant closeness with Him, the fear of Him, the delight in Him shaping everything that you do. Listen, my guess is that whoever you are, If you're here this morning, my guess is that your concept of the good life probably has relationships right at the center, right? Even Disney knows that wealth and success cannot compare to truly loving relationships for giving meaning to life. My friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we want you to know that the God of the Bible claims that you were created for relationship with himself. That's actually why so many things are so desperately wrong in our world. 
Because however your life might be going right now, however blessed you might consider yourself to be, the claim of God's word is that apart from Jesus, all of us have the desperate problem of a broken and hostile relationship with our creator because of our rebellion against him. But but the amazing news of the Bible is that in his mercy, God gave his son Jesus to become a man, Merry Christmas, and to live the life of wisdom that we should have lived. But instead of enjoying the riches and honor and the pleasantness and peace that his wise life had earned him, Jesus died a horrible death as a substitute on the cross for all who would trust in him. Because of Jesus' obedience, because he was wise, three days after Jesus died, God raised Jesus from the dead. He rewarded him not only with long life, but with eternal life. Not just with a pleasant life now, but with eternal peace. And now the Lord Jesus offers to save and forgive everyone who will trust in him. The tree of life appears again in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the very last book, as a symbol for the eternity of blessedness that Jesus will give to everyone who trusts in him. Friend, there's nothing more wise, there's nothing more urgent than trusting in Jesus Christ, God's wisdom himself for mercy and forgiveness and life. If you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. That is our first and longest, don't worry, point, wisdom and the good life. Our second point sheds more light, actually, on why wisdom is the heart of the good life. Second point this morning, wisdom and the creator. First point, wisdom and the good life. Second, wisdom and the creator. Look there at verses 19 and 20. They say, the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. (coughs) By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Throughout the series on Proverbs, we've been speaking about wisdom as skillfulness in living. We've really been talking about human wisdom. But what we find in these verses is that wisdom is first and foremost God's own skillfulness by which he created the world. Wisdom is originally God's understanding, his insight, his intelligence, his knowledge, his skillfulness, his artistic and creative excellence by which he crafted the world. So show of hands here, is there anyone who finished school this past week? Anyone here? who finished school this past... Andrew Foray, all right, very good. Christina, all right, very good, excellent. I see some others. Congratulations on finishing a semester of school. Listen, listen, if you are in school, even if you didn't finish this week, it's okay. If you are in school, you have an amazing privilege because when you study the world that God made... You are studying God's own wisdom. When you learn about the earth 
and its layers, and about the moon and its orbit. And when you learn about the stars and the planets and how beautiful and how balanced the universe is. When you learn about animals and about plants and the human body. When you learn about cells and you have to color in the cell, right? And you learn about the many parts that make up our cells. When you learn about protons and neutrons and electrons and atoms and molecules and compounds. You are learning about God's own wisdom. You are seeing how wise and amazing God himself is. Listen, if you're in school, remember, when you learn about the world, you are learning about God's wisdom because that's how God made the world through his wisdom. There are a million things we could say about that. Just want to say two of them quickly. The first thing I'll say is that this is further proof that Jesus is himself the wisdom of God. God made the world by his wisdom. It's no accident that the New Testament repeatedly describes God the Son as the agent by which God made the world. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, God the Son, who would become flesh in the man Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, God the Son, before he became a man, is the eternal wisdom of God by which God made the world. The cute little baby of Christmas is the all-wise creator of the universe. Jesus is himself the wisdom of God. Second observation about God's creation of the world by wisdom. This explains why wisdom is at the heart of the good life. Because we are created in the image of the all-wise God. That's how images work, right? If you're creating a model sports car, it had better have four wheels like the real thing. If you're an Elvis impersonator, you have better have the hair or at least a wig. Right? If, you're, if you're painting a picture of our brother Don, you had better paint his mustache. Right? Because a good image ought to possess the defining features of the original. Right? Friend, you are an image. You are an image bearer of the supremely wise God. That's why it's your business to live wisely, so that your life might be a reflection of His glory. Your kindness, your faithfulness, your love, the way you speak, the way you work, the way you handle money, the way you do relationship, the way you plan, it is all meant to imitate the wisdom of your creator. That's why wisdom is at the heart of the good life, because wisdom is our job description as image bearers of the wise creator. That's our second point, wisdom and the creator. Our third point, also briefly speaks about how our creator cares for those who seek his wisdom. So third point, wisdom and security. Wisdom and security from verses 21 to 26. 
the main point of these verses is very clearly that God cares for those who walk in wisdom. He keeps them secure. Verse 21 opens with the familiar address, my son. So we got the father talking directly to his son again. The wise father of Proverbs commends to his son sound wisdom and discretion. In verse 22, he uses an image that's very familiar to us by now. He compares sound wisdom to a gracious and beautiful necklace. We've seen that before, right? Something ever present to adorn the son's conduct and to bless him. Now, in verses 23 to 26, we get the outcome if the son will keep sound wisdom and discretion. The father says there, beginning in verse 23, reading all the way to verse 26, he says, Then, if you seek wisdom, you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The main point, again, is very clear. The, the father is telling his son that God keeps secure those who trust him by seeking wisdom. Uh, the passage, again, has, seems to have two ways in mind that God keeps secure those who trust in him. So two distinct ways that God protects or keeps secure those who trust in him. The first way God secures those who trust in him is through their own wise actions. That seems to be what's going on in verses 21 to 24. We saw this when we looked at Proverbs 2 a few weeks ago. Wisdom often protects us from the harm and the foolishness and the, I'm sorry, the destructiveness that foolishness brings. Wisdom can even protect you from other people's foolishness sometimes. Proverbs 22.3 says it this way. It says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That's one of the ways God keeps secure those who seek his wisdom through their own prudence. The second way God keeps his people secure in this passage seems just to be through his own sovereign and providential protection. That seems to be especially what's going on in verses 25 and 26. So to be clear, not, neither in Proverbs nor anywhere else in the Bible does God promise to protect his people from everything hard. Remember, Christians are those who follow a man of sorrows who died by crucifixion. Again, I think it's helpful to remember that Proverbs is giving us a general truth. God so often does providentially protect his people from harm. If you've been a Christian for more than about 10 minutes, my guess is that if you look back at your life, you can see specific ways that God has protected you and kept you secure, that he's been your confidence and kept your foot from being caught verse 26. And certainly what Proverbs is saying here is not just generally true, it's eternally true. All who, have, who trust in Christ have no need to be afraid of the ruin of the wicked, verse 25. All right, God's children are assured that even on the day of judgment, because our sins are covered in Christ's blood, the Lord will be our confidence. And he's promised us, brothers and sisters, that until then, nothing will happen to us 
that is not for our eternal good. I think the sweetest lines in this section are there in verse 24. Verse 24 says, If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Friends, I I have to confess to you that I do a lot more fearing and worrying and anxious tossing and turning than are becoming to someone who has a heavenly father like I do. I do a lot more fearing and worrying than are becoming to someone who has the promises from God that I do. Can't you see that wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace in part because wisdom is trusting that the Lord keeps his people secure. Wisdom is the heart of the good life. Wisdom originally belongs to our creator and wisdom brings security through our kind father's care. A fourth point, what about our neighbor? What about your neighbor Right, in, the, in these verses, verses 27 to 31, uh, the passage somewhat abruptly kind of shifts to five specific commands about how not to treat your neighbor. I think the shift can seem abrupt to us there because we're so individualistic and we can be self-focused. Right? Living wisely is not only a matter of sort of going through life with internal poise, Living wisely has everything to do with how you treat other people. The principle that seems to unite these five wise commands about how not to treat your neighbor, the sort of underlying theme is that we should be kind, not manipulative. We should be kind, not manipulative. Let me show you that there. Look at command number one there in verse 27. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Oftentimes, there's not one right thing for you to do. If you're coming to the potato party after the service, you can sit with and show kindness to the McLeods or the Melchers or the Millers or the Martins or Helen McClary or even to someone whose last name doesn't start with him. Right? There's probably not one single choice that's the right thing for you to do. But there are other times, though, when it becomes really clear to you that you ought to do someone else some specific good. Not because they deserve it, but because that's right in God's eyes in those particular circumstances. Right? You're not obligated to meet every need. You can't meet every need. But sometimes, given the circumstances, it's clearly right for you to meet a specific need. There have been times when it's been crystal clear to me, hey, I ought to go sit by so-and-so. Right? I really ought to go speak a kind word to so-and-so. Right? I ought to meet this particular need. Right? In, in certain circumstances, it could be clearly right that you share the gospel with someone if God opens a door. 
There could be circumstances in which it's clearly right for you to reach out to a specific person or to do your spouse good in a specific way or to be generous to meet a specific need or to reciprocate someone else's kindness. When you find yourself in that situation, the Proverbs is saying to us, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Don't manipulate, be kind. The second rule there in verse 28, it says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, presumably related to the good that you're to do your neighbor. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Don't say, go, go, go back, come back tomorrow, and then, then I'll help you when you really could help them today. One commentator says, a help which is long on the road is no help at all. Right? Intentional and unnecessary delay in helping your neighbor might be more convenient for you, but it isn't kind. Don't manipulate. Be kind. Rules 3 and 4 together, there in verses 29 and 30. 29 and 30 say, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Right? There are times in life when it seems that we might stand to benefit by picking a fight or by causing mischief or by making a big deal about something that actually isn't a big deal. And Proverbs says, don't, don't do that. Don't manipulate. Be kind. There in verse 31, rule number five, it says, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. The man of violence is sort of the extreme form of the manipulative person. It's the man who's willing to use violence to get what he wants. Friend, what, what is your MO in your relationships? Is it, even if you're not violent, to leverage what you've got to get what you want? Is that how you work? Or is your MO to be kind? Not nice and affirming all the, all the time, but genuinely kind. Right? We're tempted to believe that it's wise to play our cards in such a way that we get what we want. But the path of wisdom is actually the path of kindness to your neighbor. And to see why that's the case, we need to close with our fifth and final point, wisdom and humility. Wisdom and humility there in verses 32 to 36. We've spoken about wisdom and the good life, wisdom and the creator, wisdom and security, wisdom and our neighbor, finally, wisdom and humility. In the final four verses of the passage, we get a fourfold repetition of the same idea, the idea that God himself helps a certain kind of person and opposes another kind of person. So why should we not imitate the violent who use force to get what they want? We'll look at verse 32, continuing to the end of the chapter. It says, For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Or let me give that to you in the way that it's quoted in the New Testament. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Verse 35, the wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Listen, the reason that kindness is wise rather than manipulation is because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In this case, those who are humbly kind to their neighbor. Listen, friend, whatever you think the good life is, what's your plan to get it? What's your plan to make your life the good life? Is it you? Is it your intelligence, your hard work, your character, your charm, your good luck, your wisdom, your positive attitude, your selfish assertiveness, your spouse, your family, your friends? Or have you lived long enough to see that none of those things can obtain for you the good life that you were created to enjoy? Listen, here's God's plan for how to get the good life, how to get the wise life. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself by acknowledging your sins and failures and your need for God's mercy in Jesus. Humble yourself by believing that God's mercy in Jesus is enough for you. Humble yourself by trusting that God's wisdom is the path of pleasantness and peace. Humble yourself by resting in your father's care for his children. Humble yourself in your relationships. Instead of being manipulative, be kind because you know that you're not God. In the New Testament, both James and the Apostle Peter, they cherry pick Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34 and quote it near the climax of their letters because they know that this is the beating heart of wisdom. The good life is the wise life, and the wise life is the life of humility. It's the life lived in the knowledge that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The good life is the wise life. The wise life is the life of humility before God's face. If you are in God's Son, Jesus Christ, that is the life that He is producing in you, the eternal life that He has given to you. Let me pray as we close. Father, thank you that you have been so clear with us about what it is to be blessed. Lord, would you forgive us for the ways that we have treasured other things above the wisdom that you give in the humble knowledge of your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you do give grace to the humble. Lord, we humble ourselves now and ask again that you would be kind and gracious to us for the sake of Jesus. Lord, would you make us into people who believe that your wise paths are the paths of wisdom the paths of pleasantness and peace? Lord, would you make us into people who are kind to our neighbor, 
because of our humility before you? Would you make us into people who trust that you keep us secure? Would you make us into the people who reflect the image of our good Savior, Jesus Christ? We ask that you do these things for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.